Revelation second chapter beginning at the 12th verse I'm gonna I want to read from the ESV version if this is your first time visiting with us on a Thursday night Bible study raise your hand amen one two three God bless you four amen we welcome you to God's house God's house God bless you. Revelation 2 and 12 to the church in Pergamum. It reads, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. He says, you have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught lack to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality so also you have some who told who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans therefore repent if not I will come to you and soon Soon in war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Tonight I want to talk about one of the seven churches that is clearly explained in the book of Revelation beginning in the seventh chapter. We've been discussing uh, the book of Revelation and we've kind of jumped around and now specifically jumped over uh, the letters to the seven churches on purpose. For one, to go over all seven churches will take some time and I wanted to hit some of the key points, the key chapters that I wanted you all to get an understanding of. But tonight, we're going to discuss the church of Pergamum. Very, very interesting. And it is also known as Satan's throne. In turn, also known as the church of compromise. So tonight we're going to be discussing compromise in the church. And before I get started there, if you, you think about the word compromise in the church and it's always interesting to see what men and women talk about and what they think about and how they define compromise in the church. So before I get started, just real quick, we'll take five minutes. Let me hear what you think compromise is in the church. Change. Change. You got to give me a little bit more with that now. We're we going to change. <laughs> Don't take me too deep. All right, why are you thinking? 
three, two, one. Okay. You say, uh, brother, quick. I say uh, compromises when you give up one thing for another, I guess. When you give up one thing for another. Okay. When you improvise. When you improvise. Make it easier. When you are not preaching the word of God and not preaching within the Bible to conform to those that are around, to the sins that's in the world. To conform to, okay, to, to, to change. That's what you're talking about, conforming. And that's what you're talking about, giving up one thing which is right, which is truthful for another, just so you can ease the footprint that's stepping on your toes. Okay. Oh, Brother Stewart, I gave you a shot. I gave you a shot. You lost your chance. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. If you compromise with something, if people compromise, they, like, come together on something. Okay. 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 Hold that thought. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. When the world changes the church, changes the church instead of the church changing the world. Say that again. That was a lot. When the world changes the church. Into the church changing the world. When the world changes the church. See, I knew I should have left all these outside seats off and you all could have sat with us. Praise team and sister. No, I'm just, y'all go ahead. I just made a little joke. Go ahead. Go ahead. Y'all good. Go ahead. Lowering the standard. Say again. Lowering a standard. To lower your standard. Oh, that's good. That's good. When a preacher preaches a word to please the people and not what God says, oh, that doesn't go on in the church. When the integrity of the church is, is lowered. When the integrity of the church is lowered. Standards are lowered. Standards are lowered, okay. All these are great, but by whose thought process, by whose definition? You say change. You all say when you conform to the world, you say when you believe one thing in one way, you know that it's right and it's truthful, and you begin to let that down just to roll with the other. Compromise, compromise. I think you had something you was going to say. <laughs> All what they said. Okay. I was going to say everything that y'all said. Yeah. I'm going to go on. I was going to say everything. That's good. That's good. You can't go wrong with that answer. All of the above. D. All of the above. <laughs> Let me, let me give you a little bit of history of uh, Pagamus, also known as Pergamus. Pergamus. It was a, a, a city known to be religious. It was distinguished amongst many cities. The city, the studies show that the city seemed to thrive. Take y'all. It seemed to thrive, and there was an ancient saying that whenever any weird idea was expelled from somewhere, the idea ended up in the city. What type of idea? An idea that was of paganistic ways. If you study that, you also see that it was a city uh, that would operate in the mindset of Zeus, of those gods had very paganistic ways. Studies also show, outside of it thriving, that it is where Satan's headquarters dwelled in this time, is where the headquarters was. 
We wonder today, where has Satan set up his headquarter? What place, what city, whose mind, whose house, whose church that houses Satan's headquarters? I don't want to ask that. Y'all might say that's your neighbor's house or somewhere. But Jesus introduced himself. This was not John. This was Jesus introducing himself to uh, Pergamos, the city. He says, as the one which was the sharp, has the sharp double-edged sword. We read it in verse 12. Studies show in ancient times the highest symbol of authority was not your status, it was not um, how you looked, how you dressed, but the highest symbol of authority in that time was a sword. The sword said that you were somebody, it defined you as somebody. But the headquarters of Satan is a strategic place where he has his best influence. If you really took the mindset today and you really thought about the place that Satan has influence, and I asked you what would Satan's greatest influence be today, where would it be, what would you tell me? The school. Somebody said the church. In your home. Somebody said the courthouse. Hello. You say media. Yes, sir. Anywhere where? The Holy Ghost is not in it. Okay. Okay. He says in verse 13, you did not renounce your faith in me. That means that they had not denied the purpose. Watch this. I want you to listen to the words. Listen to the scripture tonight. That they had not denied the purpose for which Jesus came. They also had not turned their backs. Watch this. This is the church. They had not turned their backs on the gospel. Now, why would Jesus address a church who was for Jesus? Why would he address a church that's for the gospel? Why would he address a church that seems to be operating at its peak level? Hmm. Verse 13, as I was saying, deals with dedication. Talks about to remain true to the name of Jesus. Means they were loyal to the person of Jesus. The name is a symbol of the person they were dedicated. The second thing we find in verse 14 and 15 is a word uh, spelled out D-E-T-E-N-T-E. But it's known as detente, a French word. Let me tell you what that means. There was a problem with this city, and the problem was, and it exists today, it says that detente and easing, somebody said it when I talked about compromise, and easing of friction between two parties. Between two parties. It's, it means compromising so as not to muddy the waters, not to ruffle any feathers. Has anybody here refrained from saying something that God was compelling you and leading you to say so that you would not upset 
somebody. God, I believe God leads us to say things to pull people out of their situation, but we are so afraid of what they might say. Watch this. Even if they, they, they cuss you out, I'm a firm believer that they're going to come back tomorrow and repent and apologize and say, you know what, you were right. And you in turn are going to say, I'm not right, but I was led by and through the Spirit to share that with you. That's a difference. Some of us will say, oh, thank you. I know I was right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, we do that, and I believe you said it, uh, Minister Rowe, is that we compromise the gospel. We, we compromise the word of God. How many of y'all are led to do something and are afraid to go home and share with your spouse? This is the show of hands. You, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. Amen. Come on. You, Minister Back, you say you've been there? You've been there? The brother say you've been there? Anybody mind sharing that with the flock? <laughs> Woo! Yes. Huh? <laughs> when I told her I would leave my job. <laughs> oh, she, you know, she kind of looked at me. <laughs> you know, I had, you know, I had to do a little explaining. You know, I had to, I had to lay out the plan so that she could see it all the way through. But, uh, you know, it was, it was a challenge because I wasn't sure, you know, how she would take it. We had been talking about it when I told her I said it's time. You know, you know, the benefits and insurance and vacation time and all that stuff she started thinking about. So, you know, yeah, that's what I felt when I told her. Say what? Hawaii. Say what? Hawaii. Hawaii. Ah, uh, right. uh, look inside Joe. Well, let me help y'all out. And Sister Bass, uh, uh, he, he didn't question me. He didn't question me when I said I was leaving my job. He just, in a sense, it was a question. Well, man, as long as God told you to do it, I'm cool with it. I'm just saying. And then here's the ultimate question. What does your wife think? I said, man, I talked to my wife. She cool. You know, she cool. You know, she, uh, first lady has a subtle way. You know, like, you know, the Lord is leading me to start a church. Okay. See, she don't know about, you know, she's like, I don't know about that first lady thing. I, I ain't, I'm going to tell you right now, I ain't wearing no big hat. <laughs> you tell them folk if they get me a hat, I will not wear that hat. There's nothing against hats. So y'all wear hats, I'm saying. First lady Tiffany Long said she ain't wearing no hat. You're going to get an email, what's wrong with hat, first lady? There's nothing, I'm going speak for it, there's nothing wrong with the hat. There's nothing wrong with the hat. Hope somebody didn't get offended. But the church of, of, of Pergamos was a faithful church. It believed, here we are, it believed in Jesus. It was a strong church, an orthodox church that had not denied his faith. But watch this. They were tolerating False views. They were tolerating things that were not of God. I said something yesterday and I preached it. I said it again. It's going to be good tonight. You've heard it before. Some of you all even said it to yourselves. What you tolerate, you can't change. In other words, and I'll, and I'll do it from the pulpit. I can preach a message, 
to the people of God, but if I don't live the message of the gospel that I'm preaching, in turn, I now have compromised the gospel. <laughs> would, that, would that fall in the line of a false prophet? Okay, we talked about those false prophets. The church, the, watch this, the church, study this church, they did not hold false doctrine though. Proper. Held fellowship with those who also did and of, of false things. It was a, a fundamentally sound church. You ever been to a church? Don't call the name. Don't, don't look around. Don't roll your eyes. You ever been to a church? And when you go in there, everything is just, just right. I mean, you go in there, people are smiling. People are listening. There's a good word. There's good singing. Uh, uh, there's, everything about it is good. But when you left, something, something just wasn't right. Can, can you believe and not operate in the spirit of God? In other words, can I, can, I, can I create a drawing? Can I create a building? Can I create seats? Can I create people to look right but not be compelled through the spirit to live right? The only way that you can compel somebody to live right is not by through opening your mouth but by walking. The way that you preach and teach, you got to be, you have to be an example. It doesn't hold much weight, it doesn't hold, it doesn't have much validity to it. What did they allow in their fellowship? First of all, they allowed the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam was called by a king to what? To curse Israel. Found in Numbers 22. Through 23. Balaam did not try to change their theology, this is good, or curse the nation. He just encouraged them to compromise the purpose of God. See, Satan is cunning, he's smooth, smooth operator. I won't come in trashing your Bible, but I want to entice you to step away from your Bible. I won't come tell you not to go to church, but I'll come see if you want to go with me. That's, a, that's like a secrecy ordeal. He comes in, he's smooth. Now you got to be careful because he, he won't tell you everything. <laughs> what you got? Oh, he'll leave that last step out. Now, now, when I said that last statement, I said he won't tell you everything. I was talking about to the man. That man won't tell you everything. Yeah, yeah. He pollutes the people. Watch this. He pollutes the people socially and spiritually. That's a good one. Talk to him, pastor. Here it is. He you know, I, I believe we got people in the congregation in the church today. Nobody beyond measure, of course, right? Yeah, right. Okay. I believe that we have people in the congregation. I love preaching because, you know, you're just you're speaking to this mic and it goes to, you know, most of the people. And they say, he talking to me? Is he talking to me? Well, you know, I'm not talking to you if it didn't fall in your lap and it didn't apply to you. But if you do these things, it applies to you, including me. Right? I believe that we have people that pollute other people who you sit beside on a regular basis. 
Sunday after Sunday, Thursday after Thursday, you're polluting, you're polluting the environment because you're talking about folk who's sitting on the other side or behind you or across from you or who's on the... I'm only talking to you if you fall in that category. I love it. See, the great thing about preaching is you don't have to call nobody's name. But if you fall in the characteristics of who and and what I'm talking about, then I'm talking to you. I love it. I look to the ceiling. I look to the ceiling. Pollution, man, pollution will kill you. We all have some people or had some people or still have some people uh, in our lives who, who are polluting us and we don't know it. That's why we coughing, walking around coughing up pollution. When you cough up pollution, it's called gossip. Yeah. And when you gossip, it doesn't smell good, does it? It's just like exhaust. It's just like the landfill. You, you don't, it don't smell good. But see, people that gossip, they feel good because it, 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 it feeds the flesh. Oh, I'm getting off. I'm getting off. Gee. The end result is seen in verse 14. It says, a stumbling block before the children of Israel, and it resulted in eating things, sacrificed to idols, and committing sexual immorality. They thought that orthodoxy gave them a license. Watch this. Gave them a license. I'm reminded of the Pharisees. A license to sin. People with perfect attendance and they look apart think that they have the authority every now and then to sin. I'll take it a step further. People who tithe, and I need, you know, we got to do better on giving, but I ain't talking about giving tonight, but you got to do better on giving. If you don't tithe, you need to tithe. When I walk through the back and the deacons looking at me and they shaking my head, I don't want to go in there. They shaking their head out. I want to go. But we're going to do that next time. But, but you have to be careful. You've got to be careful. I done got off and lost my train of thought talking about tithing. Jeez. But you, yeah, he will, won't he? Won't he do it? <laughs> oh, yeah. I believe we're operating about a 20 Twenty, twenty, some thousand dollar budget a month. Okay, whatever. All right, move on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, but just because you, you you follow the rules, just because you follow the rules does not give you any higher authority. It doesn't make you bigger or better. It doesn't. You know, you're, you're supposed to do that. You know, you're supposed to give. It's it's a command to give. You're, you're tied. You're often. You're, it's, it's, you know, that's the least of the things. It's, it's automatic. I said, why would I give that? Because it's not yours. He allows you to keep 90, 90%. Now you dictate what you're giving your offering. Some say 20, some say 30. Now you've given 40. All right, let me stop. Okay. But you got to be careful because you fall into a place of being systematic or religious. You know, you come to church, you do the right things, you, you follow protocol or church uh, uh, etiquette, you follow, you know how to do it, you do it so gracefully, you know how to walk, you know how to give them communion, you know how to carry the offering. The commun- I keep going to tithes and offers, where am I going with this? You know how to do these things. 
does not make you above the next man or woman. You can do all of these things, A through Z, operate in total perfection, if you will, and still be a sinner and still go out here and sin and think you're bigger and better and step right back into church on Sunday and do it all over again. It becomes routine. I've even read about that, that preachers and pastors come in, preach the word of God, lay hands on people, people fall out of spirit and they go home and be, beat their wife. Oh, this is real. This is real. I'm talking about the Lord told you to do something. Somebody said, I wish he would. I don't know, 2016, you've got women going home now and beating on Hello. Yeah. We should, what? Okay. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. The church, and I just told you about that the church believed in the right things. But they tolerated those who had the doctrines of Balaam and false teachings. They, they tolerated those individuals. They allowed those individuals to come into the church and, and lead, uh, supposed to be leading by example. They knew what they were doing. You have to confront the issues. We are afraid to confront the issues. When I'm talking to somebody and you ask me a question, you can't be offended at my answer. Neither can I. If I ask you a question, then you give, you give an answer. You don't compromise the truth, you give the truth regardless. Who it falls on, who you're talking to, whether it's your spouse, your brother, your sister, church member, whatever. You give the facts, the truth, the word of God. Direction, verse 16, direction. He says, repent. People don't like that word. Repent. He was not talking to the people who held the doctrine of Balaam. Watch this. He was not talking to those individuals. Who was he speaking to? He was speaking to the church. His people. It's good teaching tonight. He was telling the church to repent. How could the church repent? They were not guilty of believing those things. How could they repent? Exclude those people from fellowship, Jesus said. Do not give them false security. They were wrong. They were destroying what the church believed. So the church should what? We don't want to say it. Say it. Boshan said it. Cast them aside. Remove them. Now, 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 I know some minds just went south because the person that popped up in your head a few moments ago when he said cast them out and I'm talking about the word says remove them, the person that popped up in your head, that's not what the word is talking about because the way that we operate, the way that we think, there will be nobody in God's house because we just started plucking people off the list. They're gone. She's gone. Oh, they on the praising. They're gone. Oh, they preaching. They gone. Yeah, yeah. They they doing their deacon. They're gone. Deaconess. She's gone. Okay, they on the instruments. They're gone. Oh, the preacher. The pa he's gone. Guess what? When you get down, there's nobody but yourself. You gotta pluck yourself right up out there too. Woo we all fall in the category. 
I just met somebody up. They said, oh. Yeah, yeah, he ain't pointing the finger. I'm telling you, man, it's real. Do you realize the danger of someone who fights against the things of God? The danger of someone in the fellowship who stands for that which contradicts the doctrine and gospel of Jesus. I pray for people who pray on the church. I pray for people who pray on people who are blessed and they're prosperous and jealousy sits in, that bitterness, that envy, that all that stuff, all that yucky stuff, it sits in. It's almost like fluid around the heart. Those things will begin to suffocate you, strangle your breathing. You won't be able to operate. And so you wonder why you're sick, why you're down, why you're stressed out. You got so much on the inside of you, you need to be cleansed. You need to get that stuff up out of you, man. I'm telling you, we're trying to live and we're trying to do right and we, are, we can't do it, man. We can't do it. You, you, you want to be a blessing to somebody and your flesh is just pulling you back. I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. The spirit is moving you, compelling you to bless somebody. I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. I can't stand them. I can't stand them. They got everything that I want. They got everything I want. They've got everything that I want. God, why not me? We struggle with it. We, we struggle with doing and operating in the spirit. I told you several months ago, when you think about it, when you think about it, the mere second, that minute, however long you think about it, your mind changes instantly. When you're compelled and you move by the spirit to do something, you do it. You do it. Because when you think about it, it leaves you. Your flesh will talk yourself out of it. That carnal mind would talk yourself out of it. I've got this check, man. I'm going to give. I'm going to give this Monday. I got this check. I don't know what this check for. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I got this check. I'm going to give. I'm going to bless somebody. And Sunday, you don't spend all your money. You went and bought some shoes. Wrestling with it. Now you show up to church and you're suited and booted and you got all these things on and you're broken. You can't give a dime to God. But you look so good. Yeah, I've seen people buy brand new cars. They ain't even got gas. Man, what in the world? How you get a car and you ain't got no money to put gas in it? I like looking to my right and my left because ain't nobody over there. That's good. Mm -hmm. Verse 17, I'll come to a close here. Also speaks to delight to delight speaks of the hidden manna which typifies the spiritual food provided by God in his word he is talking about individual feeding not a not a not a church function not a gathering not us getting together he's talking about individual he's talking about the spiritual at this point we all know in the Old Testament that manna fell and all that good stuff, but we're now we're in Revelation. He's talking about spiritual. You notice that everything that happened, everything that happened in the Old Testament that actually happened, that was in the physical, that was tangible, when you get into the New Testament, it begins to speak of those same things in the spirit. They all run a parallel. It happens in the Old it happened in the new. Folks say, well, it didn't happen in the new. Yeah, it happened in the new, but now, now it's more of a spiritual warfare. It's a battle now. So he's talking about manna here. Watch this. Manna was divinely supplied, but had to be humanly gathered. Manna fell, 
and humans, us, we had to go and gather the manna. God gave it, but the people had to gather it. Great picture, great picture of the word of God. Why? Because all the truth, all the truth, all the manna, all the truth, all the manna, all the truth, all the manna in the Bible, we have to go and gather all the truth. Because it's the truth that feed the saints. If you don't grab the truth to feed the saints, then you grab the junk to feed the saints. And from my recollection that when you eat the junk, it's bad for your heart and bad for your mind and bad for your body. And in turn, you begin to deteriorate. And now you suffer with sickness. In the spiritual sense, when you don't eat the right things in the spirit, I'm all over the place up here in front. I know she's back to life. In the spiritual sense, when you don't eat the right things of God, when you don't eat them spiritually, then your, your spirit man suffers. And if your spirit man suffers, then your flesh side is taken over. You got to give your spirit man something to fight with. He's saying, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. Your flesh said, no, 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 no. I want to eat right now. See, the spirit man is just the opposite. The flesh, I want the plate. The spirit man says, turn it down. I don't need any distractions. Turn the plate down right now. Your flesh and oh, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. I need it. I need it to operate. I'm going to be weak. And the spirit says, I need you to be weak. Because when you're weak, it's then that I am strong. Thank you, Lord. There are many ideas as to what the white stones represented. The whiteness represents the purity and holiness of God. Studies show in the Bible that when one would receive a white stone, it was a, it was a, it was a new leaf. It was a turnover because you had a new name and you was a changed individual. I'm not talking about name that you write on your paper, but who you're known as that you're not anymore. I wonder how many of the people, how many people in the church are operating today when people see them, they say they're not the same person because you've had a name change. Or how many folks see you in the church when they come to visit? Oh, child, I ain't seen in a long time. You're still the same person. They haven't had a conversation but the problem is, is they still see the old you. How do they see the old you? They still see the same way you walk, the same gestures, the same facial expressions, the same turn away, the same turn up nose that you had. You still got it. I'm looking up top. Name change. You see, when your name changes, your characteristics change. <laughs> when you start living for God, you start living for the kingdom, your walk is different. You, you smell different. Your aroma is different. The Holy Spirit changes the way you smell, changes the way you look. Because in the world, you would cover yourself with things to make you smell good and look good. Holy Spirit said, you don't need those things. All you need is me. And when you get some of me, you smell different, you walk different, you look different, you operate different, your praise is different, your worship is different, everything about you is totally different. I'm telling you, I know, I can testify. I've been there. You may think this strange, but 
since I've been pastoring, I, can, I know, I know when I'm, when I'm preaching a message, I know when I've been studying, I know when I've been in the spirit, I know when God is leading me to do something because I operate totally different. But if I'm running haywire and I don't take time out to give God what's doing, if I don't seek his face, now I'm just, I'm just walking and operating, you know, in a systematic way. You know, it's A through Z, it's protocol, it's this, it's that. But you know, how many you know when you operate in the spirit, you're going to step outside of your own comfort zone sometimes? I'm about to help y'all tonight. You see, some of us are so uh, uh, bogged down with being comfortable. God is telling you to step up out of your seat and seek my face right where you are. He's telling you to do things that you never thought of. Why, why would you pray? I'm, I'm going off. I'm done with Revelation. Why would you pray to God for something that you can do yourself? When you ask God for something that you can do yourself, you in turn insult God. <laughs> you insult God. I can show it to you in the scripture. You insult God when you ask for him to do. God, show me. I want to step. I'm going to take four steps. Thank you, Lord. No, God didn't do that. He gave you the ability a long time ago when you were birthed. But God, I want to I wanna step out and do something outside of the norm, extraordinary. I want to step out and do something that my finances can't take me. It's a miracle. Yeah. I, I want to go out and I want to I get the loan. I want to get the house. I want to get this. And you know, you got to ask God for those things that take a miracle. Because he's a miracle worker. God wants us to ask him for these things to step out. And when we ask, we have to believe. We have to believe. We struggle with believing because we have to sit there for so long and wait on God. We want it now. We wait on God. You wait until it changes. I'm going to share something Sunday to where I'm closing. I'm, I promise you I'm closing. I'm going to share something Sunday to where there was a man who lived and he was in a place, a dry place. It hadn't rained for a good time and there was a huge drought. And when people became angry with God, you know, people say, people say if, if God does not respond in dealing with my request through my prayer life, then he doesn't hear me. People with lack of faith says those things. God must not hear me. But people that have faith says, even though I don't hear God, even though I don't see him, even if I don't feel him, he's real. And the story says in short that this man in this city was in a place of drought and the people, in other words, there was a famine. People became angry and upset. You know when folks become angry and upset, especially y'all. <laughs> Somebody called that. Oh, become angry and upset. You, we, we do what? We, we what? We fuss and we fighting because we're frustrated. Because we've been waiting on the Lord. And now you're telling me to have faith and I'm telling you to shut your mouth. I've got faith. But at the same time, you really don't because you know what? 
God hasn't showed up. So the man decided one day because he was moved to get down on his knees and begin to seek his face. And I know y'all can't see me, but I've got to do this. And the story says that he began to kneel and fall on his face. And he stayed there. Why did he stay there? Because he prayed with authority and anticipation and he expect God to answer his prayers. And it says he bowed, laid on his face until raindrops begin to fall from the sky. And it says that raindrops just begin to trickle out of the sky. And the people went crazy. They were oh, yes. He didn't lift his head because he didn't pray for a trickle. He didn't pray for a sprinkle. He prayed for an outpouring. <laughs> and the story said that it began to shower and it began to come down and the people were so happy that they was out there dancing with their mouth open catching the raindrops because it had been in a drought. And if you ever go and you become to be in a drought, you're going to have your mouth open too. But why did he not lift his head when the rain began to fall down and drop on the ground? Because it came down in a storm mode. He said, that's not what I prayed for. I wasn't just praying for rain. So I said he stayed on his face and the heart drops and the violent rainfall began to settle. And when those hard drops stopped, there was a steady, calm rain. And it said he waited for the rain to become so peaceful. <laughs> I wish I had some raindrops right now. Glory. <sighs> and he was on his knees and the rain began to slow with rhythm and a good pace with grace and I can see him having a glimpse of his face I feel like a poet and the story said that he then lifted his head off the ground and he tells the people he said that's what I prayed for and I don't take any credit, but it was a living example that God hears our prayers. If we would stay on our face long enough for the request that we give unto God, he will answer your prayers. I'm a believer. 